Hi, my name is Emily White, host, author, and creator of the How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams podcast. I'm so proud that today's episode is sponsored by SongTrust, the world's largest and most accessible music publishing administrator. Before I share some more info from SongTrust, I just want to say that this is a genuine partnership, which is something that I encourage in all sponsorships and partnerships. I've been evangelizing SongTrust for years just on my own. Um, as any company that's in this book or in this podcast is because I believe in them and think that they're awesome and doing right by artists. After years of evangelizing, I've built a relationship with SongTrust, and this is the first time there's ever been an official partnership. So I just wanted to say that it's very pure. It's very genuine. Um, I do encourage you to sign up now for SongTrust to join over 300,000 songwriters and collect on your publishing royalties from more than 215 countries and territories. Use the promo code SUSTAIN20, that's all caps, S-U-S-T-A-I-N-2-0, at sign up for 20% off of your SongTrust registration. I'll say this throughout the podcast, and I say it throughout the book. I've said it before on my social media. I'm sure I'll say it again. Many songwriters know that they need to sign up for a PRO, a performing rights organization, which is ASCAP or BMI, for example, in the U.S. So some songwriters don't know this, and your PRO is not something to fear, because just recently I heard from some students and artists who hadn't signed up for a performing rights organization. There's nothing scary or bad about a PRO. It's just to collect on your performance royalties on your behalf for you to give you money for your songwriting. But so many songwriters feel that once they are signed up with their PRO that they feel like, oh, I've collected on my publishing, I'm good to go, I'm done. That is not the case. And that is the number one missing revenue stream that I see in general across the board is artists not fully collecting on their music publishing. And Song Trust is exactly how you do that. They're the best at what they do. I've thought that for years, uh, before we started working together in, in this way. And I know the principals that founded it who are brilliant. Molly Newman, who is incredible, who runs it, and they have an amazing team. I personally have plenty of songwriters and artists that I work with uh, that have signed up for, that I have encouraged to sign up for Song Trust, and they've been happy to get that money. Um, so I, I really want to encourage you to sign up, and I'll continue to explain what Song Trust is, what music publishing is. And that signing up for a PRO alone is, is not enough. And of course, sign up for your PRO first, because like I said, I was so surprised to connect with some artists recently, um, some artists slash songwriters who had not signed up for their, their PRO. I'll keep reminding that throughout the podcast, uh, throughout social, my social media, and of course, it's in the book for reference. Hello, welcome to How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams. I'm your host, author Emily White. Today, I am so thrilled and honored to have my incredible business partner and CMO of I Voted and I Voted Festival, Melissa Garcia. Welcome, Melissa. Thank you. I am also thrilled and honored to be here. Yay. So today, we're going to dig in on Chapter 7, How to Market With or Without a Budget. Um, but first, Melissa, tell us about your background. And I mean, I, I, I know, but I often forget you're a musician, so... Tell us about that and, you know, undergrad and, you know, how you got into the music industry. 
So uh, I'm definitely a musician at heart. I started playing piano when I was six. I picked up the flute, the guitar, the carillon when I was in college. So I've always enjoyed performing as well as doing recitals um, and and classical music. Uh, so throughout my adolescence, I played in bands and in orchestras. Uh, I made all state band in Florida when I was in high school. And then when I went to college, I studied music performance as a minor. I originally started as a major and then realized that I didn't want to be a music performer um, all those hours in practice rooms all day and night just wasn't really for me. And, and so I decided to explore some other avenues. And then I ended up studying finance at the University of Florida um, with a music performance minor. Um, but uh, I felt that business was way more in line with the way that I think, with where my interests were. And uh, the other reason why I decided to go the business route was I was also really interested in the music industry. Uh, UF doesn't really have anything about the music industry specifically. So when I graduated, I applied to NYU's master's program and studied music business there for two years. Um, and that's when I really felt like I sort of like entered the music industry. I felt like that's when it really started to open the doors for me of, of the different possibilities and, and my potential. Um, and through that program, that's when I started doing internships. And that's how I actually met Emily. Uh, my first internship in the music industry was with Emily when she was still co-running Whitesmith Entertainment. And that I would say is probably the first stage in terms of how my career has, you know, has um, developed and morphed. Um, and so from that internship, I learned so much, which I'm obviously so appreciative of, Emily, um, being your intern and learning from you. Uh, I felt very, very lucky. And to this day, I still feel very lucky about the opportunity because, I mean, you just threw me in the trenches. <laughs> like, literally, I feel like day one, uh, what was it? I went to a show for my interview and uh, you told me to go get a bunch of emails on an email list. And so I was like, sure, I'll just go and grab all these emails and talk to all these random strangers and try to help build an email list uh, for this band that you were managing at the time. Um, and then I'm pretty sure everything that you asked me to do, I just said yes. <laughs> and, um, and it's brought me to where I am today. So over the past, uh, what is it, nine, eight, nine years, um, I've done day-to-day -day management, consulting, marketing, social media, um, artist management. Uh, I've interned at other places as well. And I felt that my calling was more in the management side. I really enjoyed working side-by-side -side with artists, especially independent artists. And, um, and, you know, I also didn't realize that I liked marketing and social media until uh, one day when I was interning for Emily, I complained about it. And uh, I complained about doing some kind of social media post or something marketing related. And Emily turned and looked at me and she said, well, you're so good at it. And I think that's when it actually turned on in my brain that, you know, maybe this is something that I could explore more. And so since then, I've done marketing and social media outside of the music industry, specifically within the skydiving industry. And so now uh, we have collective entertainment and uh, we have a really wonderful roster that we get to work with. We really do. And um, thank you for all of that. And I guess I didn't know that, like, I was your first internship because um, you were so good. And 
you've probably heard me say this, but you know, I've definitely received, it's probably around that time. I received an intern or a resume from someone and it was amazing. It was like South by Southwest and Austin city limits and all this great stuff. I was like, Oh, amazing. And, and that person like kind of, they weren't, they weren't a good intern. And I kind of realized they, I don't know, just like sat at a desk at those places and didn't really absorb a lot of stuff. And meanwhile, I remember one day, like I was having a meltdown. Um, I think we were trying to get gear to like, you know, Martha's Vineyard or something and <laughs> total disaster. And I was all stressed out. I, I wasn't upset with you and you knew that I was just stressed. And I turned to you and you were super calm, like sitting up straight, like typing at your laptop. And I was like, well, what's your deal? Like, why are you super calm? And you just turn around and you're like, oh, I used to work in a restaurant. So I'm used to high stress situations. And now I'm like, that's what I look for on resumes. Um, so that's really amazing. And we had a lot of fun ordering Seamless and eating bad food. Yes. I would and, say for yeah, stress. Oh, sorry about that. Um, but yeah, I would say as far as, you know, handling stress, skydiving was also something that I think helped out a lot too, because I mean, it's high, uh, high paced, you know, fast environment. Um, so, you know, maybe you should look for skydivers as interns moving forward. <laughs> I love that. And again, like, I don't mean to take this for granted, but again, like you went from an intern to a partner, like, that happens, you know? Um, so that's just an amazing reminder for everyone else. That's not really a question. I just think it's amazing. Yeah, I agree. Um, cool. So let's dig in on chapter seven, how to market with or without a budget. Um, I don't want to get people's hopes up, but this is like the one chapter that like, like my attorney had zero feedback on when she read the the rough draft of the book, you know? And um, when I read reviews of the book, they're like, whoa, chapter seven. So um, I think you and I both, I, obviously you're an amazing marketer, but you and I both, are, I think, are very inherent marketers. Um, so yeah, so I'm excited to dig in on this stuff with you. Um, so the first thing I talk about is a note on attitude. Um, and I say, the grass is always greener on the other side is a famous phrase for a reason. Um, it's completely understandable to look around and wonder, why do the ha they have that and I do not? Do you have any thoughts on artist FOMO, especially in the social media era? Well, first, can I just say, I love that you put this at the beginning of this chapter, because the whole idea of comparing artists, you know, you as an artist comparing yourself to what you're doing versus what someone else is doing, whether it's a peer or not a peer. I mean, it's just a constant challenge as an artist manager to deal with when when artists are busy looking at you know, the other side and they think that the grass is greener. So I, I do have, you know, thoughts about that, but I do love that you mentioned that. Um, I think first and foremost, you know, for an artist, it's, it's, and this is really just, you know, a human thing. It's so easy to get caught up in romanticizing what someone else is doing, what someone else is up to. I mean, as you know, human beings, we do that on social media where we're looking on our newsfeed and seeing, oh, so-and-so is doing this, so-and-so is doing that. But when we do that, it ends up bringing, I think, a lot of negative emotions up for that individual in particular. And I think that is the same for artists who often look at what their peers are doing and comparing themselves. Um, that's not to say you can't look at another artist and admire or be inspired, but what with what those other artists and musicians are doing, but it's also very, very important to remember and focus on your own craft, on your own fan base, on what your goals are and your music, because 
no amount of energy that you are focusing on what other people are doing is going to improve what's happening in your own career. Incredible. Um, thank you. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, next up, we have a note on balance. Um, so here I'm talking about before we dig in on spreading the word on your music, remember that you're an artist. So try to keep your mind balanced by not losing yourself within marketing and industry work so much so that, you, that you're losing sight of your art. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Because obviously, like, we don't want an artist to do nothing. But we also, I, I think, don't want an artist, like, you know, thinking about marketing or industry or posting on social media 24-7. So any thoughts on that? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Definitely. Balance is so incredibly important. And I would say that maybe, you know, a few decades ago, it was vastly different when you had access to major label record resources where they could handle a lot of the promotion. Um, there wasn't any social media. Labels even handled fan clubs, you know, so I think that those skills weren't something that artists truly needed to be viable. Um, and then nowadays, because, you know, access to fans and and ways to distribute your music are so commonplace in a lot of ways that it's it's really important to uh, not only have that music talent and focusing on honing in on your craft, but um, being an artist these days is, is all encompassing with being able to understand basics of social media, of how to promote yourself, of how to engage and communicate with your fans and build that community. So I would say, you know, if you're someone who's interested in going down this road, which I completely 100% commend you because it's not an easy road to go down, um, you need to go in it with a strong understanding that it's not just about being talented or being just a performer. You need to be able to be comfortable with your own self to promote on your own, to to do these social media, you know, um, posts and, and familiarize yourself to a certain degree with these platforms. Um, but doing just enough so then that way you can link with your fans in that direct way because you are more than likely not going to have access to those marketing promotion resources. So again, if you're going to decide you want to be an artist, go into it already knowing that if I'm going to be an artist, yes, I need to have talent. I need to perform. I need to hone in on my craft and make good music. But that also means that I have to accept the fact that I need to be comfortable doing social media and becoming somewhat familiar with the internet and the digital space. Amazing. Um, I know this is kind of a broad question, uh, so it might be hard to answer without specifics, you know, because I think, frankly, I think you and I do a really good job of customizing plans around artists and, and tailoring it to each artist. But if an artist does have any amount of budget, $500, $1,000, $1,500, what do you think they should spend it on for a album or single or content release? Um, so if it's 500 whatever, 500 to to $1,000, 
Um, I would definitely look into uh, ways that you can tap in and build your fan base. Um, so any way that you can invest in trying to get the word out, whether that's, you know, putting a budget aside for Facebook ads, Instagram ads, um, and, um, you know, just trying to make sure that there's something there that'll help increase your, your fan base slash your reach because it is getting more challenging, um, especially on, on Facebook in particular. Um, and then depending on, you know, depending on where you're at, where your stage is. So I would say maybe there's a couple different stages. The first stage is if this is like your first release, your first album, focus first and foremost on building that fan base, put your money in building a fan base, engaging with that fan base. You can start with your friends and family, and then that's what you want to do. Um, I think that a lot of artists want to first and foremost think I should get a publicist, but I actually don't think that's the right call for, for arts for some artists simply because, you know, uh, uh, PR, and I'm sure we'll get into more details about PR, but PR these days, you know, I feel like a lot of fans are discovering music um, in other outlets aside from blogs, you know, aside from reading Billboard. These fans are on Spotify. They're on, you know, all these different streaming platforms, and that's how they're discovering music through playlists, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you really have to think about how you can tap into reaching those fans, um, especially if you have such a small budget. Um, if you feel that, or if you're at least in a position where you have released, you know, singles, they've been helping you build fans and you're seeing growth already, um, then I would absolutely consider putting some of that money towards, you know, an indie publicist that can work within your budget. But again, it really just depends on, on what stage you're at with your career and, and what your ultimate immediate goals are. And when I'm talking about immediate goals, I'm, I'm talking about, okay, if this is your first release, your first album, first EP, first single, your immediate need is getting fans. Um, and there are a lot of ways you can do that without putting that money towards a publicist. Um, and then, okay. of course, there's like other other stages too beyond that. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. If you it sounded like you were posting <laughs> your thought, if you had anything. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Um, so, as you know, the book basically takes an artist through uh, a modern release cycle. Um, so, in theory, they should have their email list set up, their text message club, their Patreon. Um, and you know, I guess this isn't really a question, but. Uh, that, that's where I recommend, you know, obviously uh, posting about your release first, you know, taking care of the people that are taking care of you the most. Um, yeah. So do you have any thoughts on, you know, email list, text message club and, and Patreon announcements? Uh, yes. I mean, those are all really wonderful ways to connect with your fans, to build your fan base. Um, any artist that first and foremost doesn't have an email list, that is probably one of the first things that we'll do if we take on a new client is start strategizing on how to build that email list. Um, and I actually very much learned this from you, Emily, about, you know, your email list is your retirement plan. Those are the people, you know, that you can reach out to throughout the, the whole career. Um, and, you know, remembering that Facebook could go away tomorrow. And frankly, a lot of artists are starting to not use Facebook anymore, even if they've built thousands and thousands of followers on that platform. So, you know, case in point, um, but any kind of way to communicate directly with fans, whether it is through a text club, through an email list. Um, Patreon is such a great platform. I wish all artists could just get on that platform 
you know, it, it definitely is that it is your fan club. Um, and that money, that's such a great income stream for, for an artist. And as an artist, you know, I think at least, you know, what I've experienced with artists who are hesitant to get onto Patreon, it feels like, oh, this is just an extra step. It's just an extra platform. But remember, you're not making money off of Facebook. You're not making money off of Twitter. There might be indirect ways that you can make money, but man, Patreon is right there and you can have a lot of control over how you communicate with these fans and then also make money, consistent income streams, you know, on a monthly basis uh, that you can't do on all these other platforms. That's great. I love that. Um, so after you've, uh, you know, shared the release with your direct-to-fan fans, which I would consider the most hardcores, um, from there I talk about, uh, you know, posting on your social media um, to, you know, to share the news a little bit uh, wider. So any social media best practices that you would like to share? Maybe like, you know, and, and I'm curious, this might just be like what I think. Um, like, t- do you have any thoughts on like time of day? Like when is best to post? Well, yes. So uh, first, I would recommend to any artist to look at their Facebook analytics slash insights, and they will tell you your peak times to to post. This is like the time of day that is ideal for you to engage. So uh, one of our clients, Torres, her peak times are around 10 a.m. Eastern time. And then... Um, And then I have another client whose peak times are between like 11 to 1 p.m. Eastern time. So really pay attention to when those peak times are. Um, So so that's that. Um, The second thing I would keep in mind is that for the different platforms that you have, your messaging should be as tailored to those platforms as possible. And when I say tailored to them, what I'm talking about is uh, for something on Twitter, Twitter, you have the ability to post or to tweet multiple times throughout the day. On something like Facebook, because of the algorithm, you don't have that kind of a luxury. So plan out the biggest announcements, most important announcements, the ones that you want to put some ad spend on if you have that budget, put that on Facebook. And that should ideally be no more than one post a day on Facebook, because after that, the algorithm will work against you. Um, With Instagram, you know, you want to think about visual content, photos, videos, anything that's going to be eye-catching, high-quality content. Um, And then you also have stories, which are both on Instagram and Facebook. So in addition to trying to tailor what you're seeing on each different platform, you also need to think about what content you will be putting on each platform. And so there's a whole, you know, strategy you can go... um, forward with. And and what I like to do is encourage my artists to be prepared to have a content library of of things that you can start posting once, you know, you're promoting the album once it's released and then after the fact. So think about when you're in the recording studio, get behind the scenes photos, videos, you know, your iPhone, your Android phones have such great cameras that you can capture these short clips and you can share that content with with your your followers slash your fans. Um, And then I do want to add something about Patreon, um, just because I I love Patreon so much. And I think it's such a great platform for creators. Um, With Patreon, that is where you have the ability to go above and beyond for that core audience. And when we're talking about the core audience, we're thinking about that 80-20 rule, right? Where uh, 20% of your customers slash fans slash followers will 
end up contributing to 80% of your profit. And so that's like what you should think about your fan club slash your Patreon subscribers. And so on that, man, you can go into detail about, you know, your recording process on, you know, teasing about the song you're writing. You can talk about, you know, acoustic covers that you want to do. You can engage and communicate with them in such a way that you don't have that with Facebook, but you're also creating value on Patreon. So then your fans are more likely to pay for that value by subscribing for your consistent content. So, so there, so just to recap, the first thing is to, you know, figure out best times of the days. Um, And, and, to further on that point, you can also determine the best days of the week to post really big announcements. And then you want to also be making sure you're collecting high quality, good content. And there's other things to do to strategize beyond that, that, you know, um, go into a little bit more detail. But then the third thing is, is to really tailor what you're putting out there per the platform, because people consume Facebook differently than they consume Instagram, than they consume Twitter, than they consume Patreon. So really think about your messaging all around. I love it. Um, so that's all really incredible advice. Um, once you're, you know, doing that stuff, like what is the best way to engage with your fans on social media um, to continue to grow your presence there? It's to respond to messages, you know, it's to comment on questions, keeping an eye out on fans that, you know, want to talk to you. And uh, as an artist, feeling that that is part of your job. It's not just about creating music. It's about communicating with these artists. So not just on social media, but emails, when fans send in emails, respond to those. Um, I actually... I uh, want to add another point to to Facebook um, because Facebook is such a pain right now, especially if you're uh, a figure, a celebrity figure, i.e. an artist, band, whatever. Um, and Facebook has made it more and more difficult for those pages to essentially have any kind of engagement unless you are a retail store. So, they're, so Facebook's really focusing on retail. They want you to sell stuff through their platform because that's how they make money. And if you don't do that, you're automatically at a disadvantage, which is really unfortunate for a lot of musicians, which is why people are gravitating away from it. However, Facebook groups is such a great way to communicate directly with those fans because you don't have to, quote unquote, you know, pay to play on a Facebook group. Um, those are, uh, it's a community of your hardcore fans who who want to not just communicate with you, but also have a community with other people that are like them that happen to love your music. And I'm, I'm saying that specifically because during this pandemic, it's been such a struggle across the board for a lot of musicians. But uh, one of our clients, Trivecta, is, I would say, the poster child of engaging with his fans. He just goes above and beyond with how he communicates with them. And what's so fascinating to see is that despite the pandemic and despite him not touring, his social media engagement and following and streams have actually grown this whole year because he has stayed in such close communication with his fan base. And I would say that it's really because, you know, well, one of the reasons is because he has his Facebook group that he calls the Trivecta Tribe, which I encourage everyone to go check it out. And what's really amazing about the community he has built 
is that as part of his persona or just something that's really authentic about himself, he loves to cook. He loves to barbecue and grill and all this other stuff. And now his fans have like, they go on this group and they like talk about, you know, what they're cooking, what meals they have. They share recipes. Um, Trivecta is a fan of hot sauces and his fans in this group did a hot sauce exchange for the holidays, which is like so amazing. And it was something that he didn't even initiate. They just did it on their own because this, this quote unquote tribe has found a community within this fan base. So if there's one piece of advice I could give all artists in terms of your fans and how to connect with them, make that space a safe enough space for them to feel like they are a part of a community and they will build it and let it grow on their own. Incredible. Um, you know, also just because you use the word engagement and that's so important. And um, just a reminder for artists, like it's actually not about how many followers you have. Um, there are, I'd like to say tons. <laughs> I don't know if there's tons, but there's really savvy people in the industry actually paying attention to your engagement numbers, not how many followers you have. Um our client, Julia Nunes, like no doubt has a strong social media following. I, I don't actually, I, I wouldn't want to guess her numbers off the top of my head, but we have brands and products reaching out to us like basically every day because her engagement numbers are so strong. She connects with her fans. They connect with her. Um, I was just talking to uh, Mary Kay, the founder, Mary Kay Hughes, the founder and uh, co-founder and CEO of Mandolin. Um, they're doing the same thing over at Mandolin. It's like, they don't like smart industry. People don't care if you have a million followers, they'd rather see 30,000 um, that are constantly engaging with you. Um, yeah. Agreed. So. And it's so funny that you mentioned that because for I voted festival, when we were taking a look at how we wanted to split up our dark ad budget, you know, and, and, and work with these different artists, my, uh, one of my main instructions to our, our team member was don't just look at the numbers, look at the level engagement, because I would rather have someone who has 20,000 followers who gets thousands of likes and, and, you know, a ton of comments per post than someone who has a hundred thousand and gets like 50 likes. Exactly. Totally. Um, do you have any thoughts on how to grow email list numbers? Oh man, there's so many ways and, and the digital space has made it really easy to do that. Um, you can, if you can give away a track for free, you can, uh, put out an acoustic version of one of your tracks. You can do a cover all in exchange for, um, you know, a, an email list. Um, and, um, you know, these days there's, there's different platforms that allow you to do that. Um, so that's really the, one of the ways you can do it in addition to asking your family, asking your friends, you know, asking your, your, um, former classmates, professors, you know, just use the network that you currently have and try to capture as many emails as possible just within that network. So um, that's another way you can go about it. Um, man, this was one of the things that that um, I had recommended a client do because he was traveling around the world and he didn't have any business cards. And it's so easy these days to just print a card that has a QR code um, where you can capture that email and you can exchange that and give them um, 
you know, give that person a, a free download. You can put your EP on there. You can put demos on there if you're you're networking with fancy industry people. But of course, <laughs> with COVID, you know, handing out business cards isn't the way to go about it. Um, but really just understanding your network and trying to tap into that certainly helps. Um, and then um, in your book, you mentioned noise trade. That is such a wonderful way to, to go about that as well. So um, lots of different tools to do that. You can also... Um, um, you know, beyond, beyond doing that, um, lately I've been seeing a lot of artists trying to get more followers on Spotify or more, you know, engagements that way through other platforms without the email list. And while I think that's really great, um, I would rather capture an email over a Spotify follower, frankly, um, just because, you know, unfortunately with a lot of these platforms, aside from Bandcamp, um, you don't know who that fan is. You just know that so-and-so's in some city, but you don't have a name, you don't have contact. Um, and so, you know, unfortunately tech companies have that power, but then you have a platform like Bandcamp, which highly recommend all independent artists get your music on Bandcamp. Um, you can have fans, you know, give their email address in exchange for your music. So keeping an eye out for ways you can get your music out there and also capturing that data. So great. Um, any comments on pinned posts on social media? Oh, yes. Definitely pin the biggest announcements. If you're going on tour, pin that announcement post. If you have an album, pin that. Um, you know, pin anything that's really big that you want people to see first and foremost. Um, but also keeping in mind that it's not just fans that are looking at your profiles. There's industry people that are absolutely 100% going to look at your profiles um, that they, you want them to see that important post first and foremost. Um, and then when it's pinned, um, that'll hopefully increase, you know, any kind of engagement on that post in particular. Um, the one thing that I would say is if you pin something, mark in your calendar when it needs to get updated, because I can't tell you how many times, um, I've even caught my own clients doing this where it's like, this is outdated content from, July. This needs to get updated. So just make sure that it stays up to date. Totally. Agreed. Um, so next in the journey of the modern release, um, I talk about music platform announcements. Um, so there, I, you know, and I'd be curious if you agree or disagree or anything, but I feel like, you know, cause we've gone, you know, we've gone through like email list and text club and Patreon and Bandcamp. And now we're getting around to Spotify, Apple Music, Deezer, Tidal, all that stuff. And um, yeah, I guess I won't give my thoughts. Like, how you know, how should an artist go about posting that? In your so there's a lot of um, not a lot. There's there's a there's a handful of really solid uh, platforms where you can put all of those links all into one link. Uh, Future FM does a really great job with that. Uh, I'm sure there's a few others that I'm not thinking of right now. So I apologize if, if I'm not saying their names at this moment. But um, what's really great about those kinds of platforms is you can include the YouTube video. You can include sp the Spotify track. You can include basically all of the different uh, streaming platforms in addition to Amazon and iTunes um, and Bandcamp and your website, and you can add your merch link. So there's these different tools these days that are free for you to use as an artist that allows you to have, um, you know, all of these links all in one place. So, um, you know, take advantage of those free tools out there. Agreed. Um, the only thing I, I love that. I um... 
I think that's, that's really smart. Um, what do you think about, I, I have in the book, like, you know, it's up on Spotify and like, you can, you can post about that. Right. And you can tag Spotify. And then maybe if you did, cause, cause it's not always, I mean, it's not always live on each platform the same day. Right. Like sometime, well, even, even if it is, I feel like you can be like, my new single or my new whatever is up on at Spotify. Right. And then maybe a day or two later, you can post about Apple music or you can post about Amazon or title or whatever. I feel like that's a way to continue sharing that your release is out without technically saying the same thing over and over. Does that make sense? Definitely. Yeah. You can definitely play on that. And, and I think it would also, I mean, we're talking about independent artists, so I won't get into like what the record labels want to focus, you know, efforts on versus whatever, but as an independent artist, if you're doing this without a label, um, you can create more content simply by highlighting that you're on Apple Music, you're on this. I would also go on to say, if you land on a playlist, you know, post about like, I'm on blah, 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 playlist on Spotify, here's a link to it. And not just official playlists, but if there's any user-generated playlists, give those people a shout out, tag them. Um, There's definitely ways that you can continue to engage your fans and remind them that you have music out um, without, you know, feeling like you're being too redundant. You know, you could even tie it into some other piece of content where you're showing a picture, you know, behind the scenes uh, at your record studio and um, or even in your 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 home studio. Right. If you're recording at home um, and then, you know, talk about, hey, you know, this is when I was writing such and such song. And then, by the way, if you haven't listened to me on Spotify, here's a link, you know, so you can also get really creative in how you include these links. Um, but what is the marketing rule of thumb here? Um, and it's not just applicable in the music industry. I think this is applicable across um, all of marketing. Customers need to see on average your, uh, whatever you are advertising or promoting at least eight times before they will take that action to go further. And when I say action, I mean, check out your music, listen to it, buy it, buy a, a ticket to your show. Amazing. Um, we'll skip over Spotify only because in the book, I'm like, just go check out Ariel Hyatt on Twitter. Yes, um, <laughs> definitely check her out. <laughs> CyberMusicPR.com uh, cyber and Ariel was a guest earlier on this podcast. Um, she has put out some incredible like free resources like the Indie Musician's Guide to Spotify part one, two, and three. Um, so definitely dig in further there, especially for um, the latest and greatest information. Um, just to wrap up some of that stuff, um, any comments on Pandora and best practices there? Oh, man, it's so funny you mentioned Pandora because I was actually just talking to someone about Pandora. Um, and and I don't mean to downplay on any platform because, you know, there are listeners on all platforms. I just wish. <laughs> uh, OK, let me see how I want to phrase this. Pandora was such a powerhouse years ago. Um, and it was definitely one of those platforms that I felt that a lot of people were on. I was on it myself. Um, and then Spotify really started to pick up the pace and started to capture a lot of um, audiences. And um, one of the things that that I was actually just thinking about today with regards to Pandora is that, you know, artists aren't really incentivized to share their Pandora link. Um, I don't know if you've noticed that, but I've, I've in all the releases that we've had, it's never been a focus. It's always been a focus on Apple or Spotify. Um, And so, you know, given the nature of the music industry, if 
artists are not pushing your platform. Listeners aren't going to be listening on that platform. And I think what, what I do think Pandora was trying to do, and they're still trying to do, is their AMP, which is their artist marketing platform. I believe that's what it's called. Um, and all those tools are amazing. Um, but for myself and my clients, we don't use those. And they're free tools, by the way. We don't end up using them because we know that my artist's fans aren't on Pandora. They're on Spotify. They're on Tidal. They're on Apple Music. But that's not the case for all artists. If you do your research and you see that you actually have quite a lot of traction on Pandora, you have quite a strong audience in Pandora, because again, it is a platform and people do listen on Pandora, um, take advantage of their free marketing tools because they are awesome. And I think that they have some of the best marketing tools in the industry. And I think Spotify is starting to you know, trying to change that up, although you have to pay now for a lot of it or for some of it, which is ridiculous. Um, but, um, but man, like, I just, I feel like the industry as a whole just really missed out on Pandora um, and, and the advantages that artists could have done simply because artists were not incentivized to really push out their Pandora links, you know? I, so, I mean, I don't know if I answered your question. I might've just went on a rant about Pandora, but, but Yeah. No, that's great. Um, I actually do have one more platform to ask about. Uh, one more social media question, and then we'll get into some PR and radio, and then I'll let you get back to work. Um, any thoughts on SoundCloud? Ooh, yes. Um, SoundCloud definitely has some useful tools. Uh, we mainly use SoundCloud across the board to share private links to demos, to any tracks that we want to share to people in the industry. Um, so it's a it's a great tool for that because you can keep an eye out for the number of streams. Um, I, however, depending on the genre that you're in, um, it's not a place that I would necessarily recommend my artist Torres, as an example, to be focusing a lot of her efforts on SoundCloud simply because her fan base they don't really use SoundCloud to listen to her music. They're more on Spotify um, or like Tidal. Um, so, so with that regard, and, you know, if you haven't listened to Taurus, check her out. Um, but he's, you know, an indie artist, um, she signed to merge. And so, you know, you have to think about where your fans are. On the other hand, uh, one of my clients, Trivecta, who is a, a, a dance producer in, in EDM, we absolutely have him engaging on SoundCloud. We have all of his music on SoundCloud, um, and, um, not only that, but there's a whole, at least in, in EDM, and I assume in hip hop as well, um, there's a whole reposting network of SoundCloud where, um, you know, artists will repost each other's um, music. And so there's a lot of activity in the EDM space within SoundCloud that if you're an EDM artist slash producer, you absolutely need to be on SoundCloud. I totally agree. And um yeah, like it, it frustrates me that SoundCloud doesn't really monetize, but obviously you can't deny what's going on there in rap and EDM and everything you just said. And so again, I would just encourage artists like throw that email list link, throw that text club link in the description, like get something out of SoundCloud. <laughs> They're monetizing your your music, you know, so you might as well get some data in return. Definitely. And I think that's actually changing. I need to double check on that. I, I've, I've been pretty bad about keeping up with what's happening with SoundCloud in terms of monetization, just because, again, it's not a priority for some of my clients. But, um, you know, there's um, like with with any kind of uh, distribution platform like TuneCore and 
Um, you know, Sweetie Baby, there is an option to monetize on SoundCloud, I believe. Um, but but I might have to check my sources on that. Well, um, the last I checked, you had to like be at a certain level or like be premium or something. So it just didn't seem open to everyone. Ah, um, okay. Yeah. And I do have a link in the book to post updates. So um, if SoundCloud turns a key and everybody can monetize, um, I'll make sure that link is updated with that information for sure. Today's episode is sponsored by SongTrust, the world's largest and most accessible music publishing administrator. I do encourage you to sign up now for SongTrust to join over 300,000 songwriters and collect on your publishing royalties from more than 215 countries and territories. Use the promo code SUSTAIN20, that's all caps, S-U-S-T-A-I-N-2-0, at sign up for 20% off of your SongTrust registration. I'll say this throughout the podcast, and I say it throughout the book. I've said it before on my social media. I'm sure I'll say it again. Many songwriters know that they need to sign up for a PRO, a performing rights organization, which is ASCAP or BMI, for example, in the U.S. So Some songwriters don't know this, and your PRO is not something to fear, because just recently I heard from some students and artists who hadn't signed up for a performing rights organization. There's nothing scary or bad about a PRO. It's just to collect on your performance royalties on your behalf for you to give you money for your songwriting. But so many songwriters feel that once they are signed up with their PRO that they feel like, oh, I've collected on my publishing. I'm good to go. I'm done. That is not the case. And that is the number one missing revenue stream that I see in general across the board is artists not fully collecting on their music publishing. And Song Trust is exactly how you do that. They're the best at what they do. I've thought that for years uh, before we started working together in, in this way. And I know the principals that founded it who are brilliant. Molly Newman, who is incredible, who runs it, and they have an amazing team. I personally have plenty of songwriters and artists that I work with uh, that have signed up for, that I have encouraged to sign up for Song Trust, and they've been happy to get that money. Um, so I, I really want to encourage you to sign up and I'll continue to explain what Song Trust is, what music publishing is, and that signing up for a PRO alone is, is not enough. And of course, sign up for your PRO first, because like I said, I was so surprised to connect with some artists recently, um, some artists slash songwriters who had not signed up for their, their PRO. I'll keep reminding that throughout the podcast, uh, throughout social, my social media, and of course, it's in the book for reference. So one last question on social media that I skipped over. Um, I have, I talk about the golden rule of social media. I mean, that's a little bit more for me personally, but what do you think about that? And for me, that's like, I try to only post positive things. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Ooh, um, I, I hear you when I, uh, like when you talk about that in the book, um, you know, positivity for sure is something that, you know, can be more on brand with your messaging as an artist. So I think first and foremost, it should be about what is on brand with your messaging as an artist or as a band. Mm -hmm. um, if you're, oh gosh, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, if you're Tom Morello, we're going to expect politically charged messaging. Totally, yeah. You know, we're going to expect some things, you know what I mean? So it's like, okay, that is on brand for Tom Morello. Um, but then for, you know, like someone like, I don't know, Dolly Parton, you know, <laughs> who, who does, you know, get into it, but she also has a lot of positivity um, that is on brand with her. 
Um, I do feel that um, it's one thing to stay on brand slash to even have positive messaging, but I think it's also okay that if it's true to your, you know, to your person, if it's an authentic messaging where, you know, you do want to call to light something that has been upsetting to you, um, you know, just understand that it may not hit all the marks with some of your fan base, you know, um, you see a lot of artists this year, lose a lot of fans because, you know, there are more politically charged posts this year than previously. Um, so if that's something you're willing to be okay with, that's fine. However, to, you know, say to, 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 um, I guess to like do anything that's slanderous, you know, absolutely not. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's such an interesting world that we're in, in social media because then cancel culture is a whole thing. So you have to also determine if you are okay with associating your brand and your name with cancel culture, you know, there's just a lot of things to think about. So anytime you're getting ready to post something, that's an opinion or even something that's, you know, may or may, may be a fact, but is, um, controversial. Sure. Just really think about the repercussions. Do not just post right away. Let that post sit in your drafts for maybe 24 hours and then decide if it's still important enough for you to post it. Because wow. the last thing that, that we want is, is to, you know, tell artists like, no, you can't post this. No, you can't post that. And I'm speaking as an artist manager. I never want to censor my clients when something's really important to them, but they also have to understand the repercussions of the things that they say because they could lose fans. You know, I had a client that, that, you know, had some political posts out and, and lost like a couple hundred fans one day. Um, yeah. But she was okay with that. Um, sure. You know, she didn't want those fans to begin with. Uh, so it just needs to be on brand. And I think for you, Emily, like it is very on brand. You are a very highly positive person, um, you know? And, and so I, I do see that, you know, being important. Um, and, um, you know, but you also want to just be authentic also. You don't want to feel like you're just wearing a mask and you're saying things to appease people. You know, you're an artist. That's why you write music. That's why you perform. That's why you express these feelings and thoughts because you are an emotional human being. So that's a long drawn out opinion, I think, that I have about that. I love it. I, I mean, I, I feel that authenticity is queen. So um, yeah, you're exactly right. I, I think it's so wise what you said. I mean, for all of us, just like if you're going to put, you know, put something out there that's not just like, here's my new song. Um, yeah, maybe sit on that for 24 hours, uh, meditate on it. Uh, not that you need to like spend hours, you know, like thinking about each individual post, but I, I think that's very, very smart. I can't tell you how many times, you know, like I've, I've had someone read over a post or, or even an email, right? Like oh. get your friends to read it because they can offer some kind of perspective because when you are posting in the heat of a moment, there's a big chance that you will regret it later on. So exactly. Yeah. Definitely. Just I mean, I don't drink anymore, but it's like if you do, it's like pretend like you're drunk. Like remember what happened. I don't know. I used to tweet a lot when I was drunk. It's like Twitter is so interesting when you're drinking and then the next day it's just like what is this? You know what I mean? So it's like learn from your own mistakes if that makes sense. It's those drunk texts that you're scrolling through and you're like, "Why did I send this to my mom?" This exactly. Twitter is really for me Twitter was way too fun when I was drinking. Like I don't think I ever did or said anything bad, but I was just like way too excited about things. So yeah. 
For me, I mean, um, I'm, I'm amazed about how you were able to build your your Twitter, you know, following and stuff like that. Because, like, I, I'm not a Twitter person. Or, okay, I'm not a tweeter. But, man, I will go down a Twitter rabbit hole just because there's some things that are really fun to, to read and to watch. And also a lot of very educational things. So, but, again, those people that are tweeting, it's pretty on brand for them. So, yeah. Well, it's interesting that you just said, like, how I built my, and I don't have like a million followers, but like how I built my Twitter following. Um, I, I didn't try to, you know, like that was totally organic. And like I said in the book, I was like, I mean, well, I joined Twitter sarcastically in 2008 being like, well, maybe someone will, well, this part wasn't sarcastic, but it was like, maybe someone will care about this young woman starting a music company or whatever. And um, yeah, I just, I came up with that golden rule. Like I'm going to only try to put positive things out there. And the rare times I complain about something, it's come to bite me in the ass, which is just a huge reminder. So um, I guess I mentioned that because I feel like I've always been authentic on social media. And so that's worked really well. And so that's a huge reminder for artists, like to the extent that like, I've had people like want to pick my brain about how I've built my brand. And I was like, I've put no conscious thought into that, to be totally honest. It's just been being myself and being positive on the internet. So I totally hear you on the positive positivity thing is maybe a little bit more on, on brand for me, not to be a hypocrite, um, with the brand thing, but, um, I, I'm just trying to say, uh, authenticity is queen. I just think, yeah. it, think you're exactly right. So important. So I want to say one more thing about that because sure. I think that you, you are a really good example for, for artists as well as industry people who are trying to, you know, find you know an outlet and people to 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 reach out to but it I feel like for you and and I've known you I mean I haven't known you forever I've known you for almost a decade and I even as sorry I I, sounds like you've known me a third of your life so that's (laughs) yeah that's that's probably yeah that's that's very true actually um so you know that is a long time but what what I think you know, a lot of industry people and artists can learn from you is that you, you knew your voice pretty early on. And that's something that is a struggle for a lot of people that are trying to figure out their brand and they're trying to figure out their voice and their messaging. Um, but, but I love the authenticity part because that's what comes so naturally when you are able to just organically grow your following. Um, but also you, you were very consistent, right? You weren't just posting about like something once a month, you were consistent. You, um, you also have this willingness to share about the successes that you were having. And I think that there are some people that, you know, don't really know how to wrap their brain around doing that. They overthink. I know for myself, I have a hard time putting anything out there that's remotely relating to a success because I don't want to come off as a, as a, you know, braggart, but, um, but yeah, but I think that, you know, artists as well as industry people could learn that, you know, don't overthink it, just be yourself. And that golden rule could actually really apply to so many people. Yeah. And I, you know, I, it's interesting you say about like sharing successes or whatever, because initially it was fairly easy because I was just sharing like what our artists were doing, you know, like it wasn't really, I'm sure there was like a few things like, you know, fun things about me or whatever. But um, I remember in those early days, people saying to me like, oh my gosh, you guys have so much going on. And I'm like, I'm literally just like sitting in yoga pants, like working in my email. Like, oh, cool. Like an artist got a piece of press. I'll tweet that. Okay. Working. Okay. Some, we have a show like tweet that that's all it was, but 
I also remember the power of it. I know this is just one small thing, but we had an artist playing playing at City Winery and my friend Bree showed up at the show. She's like, oh yeah, I saw you tweet that. You know, I mean, it's that's kind of like social media 101, but um, cool. Well, I know you have limited time, so I want to dig in on uh, PR. Um, you definitely referenced earlier, and, and of course I see this all the time too. Maybe it's changing, but artists seem to really want a publicist. Um, yeah, I mean... Any thoughts on any of that? Like what, you know, what is, what is, oh God, this sounds so shitty. What is the point of having a publicist? Like what are the benefits of having a publicist? And um, when, when, when is an artist, when do they need one? When should they get one? If, if those questions make sense. Yeah. So but the first part of your question, uh, which I, I want to make sure I got it was just, you know, the point of a, a publicist. Yeah. Um, so the point of a publicist Gosh, there's 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 many points to a publicist, and it, and it does come down to what your goals are. Um, but I would say when it comes to PR and publicity, that um, I think that most artists have often romanticized what the results are of having a PR. Yeah, it is very much romanticized, and I do think that a lot of artists don't have a real understanding of what that job actually entails. Um, because what I often see is that artists think if they land a publicist and they spend one, two, three, five thousand dollars, that they're going to get on like you know big platforms. They're going to you know get on Billboard. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. But you have to remember that a publicist can certainly help with that, but you have to help your publicist. Um, so. So we can probably go into details on how you help your publicist. Sure. But, but I just want to preface it first by saying, you know, be realistic about your, um, your, you know, hopes for having a publicist are. And um, furthermore, not all publicists do a really good job. So don't just take the first publicist that you find. You have to do your research, you know, talk to that publicist, do your research, ask around, and just make sure that they're one a good publicist and that's worth spending money for. And two, that they fit in line with your genre of music, that they have connections with, you know, the outlets that you want to hit because it is in line with your music, with your genre, whatever. Um, so, so just mitigating, you know, your expectations when it comes to that. Um, so the whole point of a publicist um, and, and this is just coming from, you know, as an artist manager, what we've been able to use publicity for, uh, for our artists. I, I will say this, and, and I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, and I hope, you know, publicists that hear Before this. Before you say mad. anything, <laughs> multiple publicist friends love this book. And I was a little nervous about friends, PR friends reading this chapter, and they're all like buying it. So I'm like, I'm like, did you skip the PR parts? <laughs> like, <what? laughs> Awesome. Okay. So, so maybe, maybe, you know, maybe this won't be such a bad thing to say. Um, so, uh, so basically when you are aligning yourself with a publicist, the main thing that we try to use our, our PR team for is to get those industry, uh, to get those outlet hits, to get on, you know, meaningful blogs, meaningful outlets. So then you can use that as a tool to help land festivals. You know, you can give that information to your agents, to your publishers, to your record labels, because that is a 
another added layer of promotion, but it can really be used um, uh, at an industry level of promotion. So don't expect that just because you land something in billboard that all of a sudden you're going to gain a thousand followers on Spotify, because that's not going to happen for the vast majority of artists. What you can expect, though, is for you yourself slash your team to be able to utilize that as a key part of your promotion within the industry in particular. Um, You know, venues pay attention to that. You know, uh, uh, sync, you know, people pay attention to that. Um, You know, so so it's really important to just remember that that is uh, an added tool to your benefit. Um, but don't lean on that. Don't solely lean on that to grow your fan base because that is not the way. If you think that landing a bunch of press is, is it and that's your job, you know, and that's that's done for you for promo, you're completely wrong and you still need to be able to do the work. Um, but your publicist will only be successful in a lot of ways if you're able to provide them with news. If you have nothing going on in your career, right. there's no point in bringing on a publicist. But if you are putting out an album and you're putting out singles and you have this really beautiful music video and you're getting ready to put out a tour, then you can very much incorporate a publicist into your strategy as long as you have a budget for it. And as long as you have, you know, a full all encompassing uh, strategy that you are following from this book that Emily has written. Thank you. And again, you know, you talked about expectations. I, I also feel that communication is queen So communicate those expectations and, you know, the publicist is going to tell you like it's too early days. Like you're not going to be in Rolling Stone yet. You're not going to be in Pitchfork yet, but here's what we are going after. Um, And then I've definitely seen artists in this, I I get it, in the super frustrating position of like, they already know a handful of journalists that are fans of them and will write about them. And then sometimes that those are the only, that's the only press the publicist lands. And so then the artist is like, what did I just pay for? At the same time, if you don't say that up front, they don't necessarily know, right? So they're going to be proud, like, oh, look, these these five people are doing features or whatever. So tell them, like, hey, I know these five people. They always write about my stuff, but I'm trying to have ten people or fifteen people, you know, write about this release, and and that way, you know, you're you're on the same page, which I think is really important. Yeah. yeah. Can, oh, I would actually love to talk about self. PR or self yeah, um, I think that you're you're also a really great example of that too um, where where you've managed to land a lot of I mean like a lot of decent press without a publicist you know to really step in and help um, and there's a lot of tools for artists who don't have a budget for that where they can do that themselves um, and I mean early on when I interned for you, um, and I still do this, um, building out your fancy friends list, which is all about, you know, the fancy industry people that you come in contact with, that you network with, that have written about you organically. You know, you can build out that kind of email list um, to inform people on an industry level with what's going on in your career. And that is so, so, so important. Um, and and again, I don't, <laughs> I hope your, your, your publicist listeners don't get mad for, for saying this, but but all these, the, this, this strategy, the, these tools are at any artist's disposal to be their own publicist. Um, and, and yes, there's a component where you might have to put a press release together. You might do this, but there are ways that you can learn to do that. Or you can even hire someone for $50 to help put 
you know, a press release together, you know, a student that's like taking a PR class, like taking advantage of the resources that are at your disposal. Um, but you don't always need to, ha to have a publicist. I mean, we've worked with, with artists that can't land any press, but then get millions of streams. Yeah. Um, so you really just have to think about like, you know, how you want to incorporate PR into your overall strategy. And just remember that this is not going to make or break your career overnight. Um, at some point, can, I want to just bring up Selena. Can I just bring up Selena? <laughs> okay, so Netflix just released the first part of the Selena series, which I highly, highly recommend to any fan, also because Selena is just amazing and iconic. Mm -hmm. um, but on a music industry level, when you watch that series or even the Jennifer Lopez biopic, um, you can learn so much from her as an artist because first and foremost, it wasn't an overnight success. It definitely was not. She worked her, her ass off when she was a child. They all did, her whole entire family. And then her father as well, right? He hustled. They all hustled. They were broke. They were living, you know, out of a, a you know, awful tour bus. Like, you know, they worked so hard. Um, but one of the key things that I hope musicians and industry people can take away from Selena as an example is just how she engaged with those fans. You know, yes, PR is great, but those fans, if you can light a fire, you know, for that fan base, they will do so much work for you that not even a publicist can do. Like that is where it comes down to. Um, sorry, I, I really wanted to go off on a tangent because Selena is just like, so amazing. And um, you can just learn a lot from how she grew her career and, and, you know, apply what her strategies were to your own career. I love that. And that was also pre-internet making it even more yeah. amazing. Yes. And like, that was when like, I mean, of course the fan club part, which is such a tragedy, but like, you know, then they had a fan club, but like, she just cared so much about her fans. Mm -hmm. And I think I heard you say this, you know, as, a, as an artist, music is, of course, first because you have to hone in on your craft and your talent and get your music out there. But your fans come very close to second. And for me, I feel like a lot of times they are of equal importance, especially in this age of where the music industry is, because without your fans, you know, you have nothing. Um, I won't go into too many details, but and sorry if I'm just constantly going off on a tangent. Oh, you're amazing. Um, Keep, going. Keep rolling. <laughs> but, but we had uh, someone approach us um, who about, you know, 10 years ago had some really great songs that, you know, got a lot of attention with PR. You know, they, their music was like on MTVU. Um, they were aligned with some, you know, uh, big named producers. And then it fizzled. And then at the end of the day, this, this artist realized, they didn't know who their fans were. Right. And so, you know, and, and that's an awful situation to be in when you realize that you don't have a foundation of fans. And so now what they're trying to do is start building from day one what their fan base is. And I feel like a lot of artists don't have that kind of a mindset. This person in particular has that mindset because they had to learn the hard way of what that means. So no amount of PR We'll get you to the point of Selena. We'll get you to the point of, you know, the, these, these, these goals that a lot of artists want to achieve. Um, so, you know, just remember fans, 
fans, fans, fans, fans, fans. It's all about the fans. You know, just tap into your inner Selena. Think about how she would engage with her fans and just try to copy that. That's amazing. And I also just want to add, you referenced, um, you know, creating like a fancy friends Google spreadsheet. I just want to break that down really quickly. So what we're talking about there is, you know, when you do land a piece of press through a publicist, through yourself, whatever, organically, grab that person's email address, because a lot of times that's very available or accessible and pop it into a Google spreadsheet called fancy friends. And you can continue to grow your own personalized database of tastemakers who are writing about you. And even if you are working with a publicist, you know, um, you know, most artists don't have a publicist on 12 months a year. Um, so then you have that database. If It's like, maybe you have a publicist on for your album release, but six months later, like you do a live stream show or a new music video or something, you can blast those tastemakers directly um, and get press out of it and promo out of it. And also a lot of time, I mean, again, they're, they're your fancy friends. So they like hearing from you too. Um, yeah. So that's not really a question. I just wanted to share that tip. Yeah. Um, so just, just a few more things. Uh, uh, radio, which is quite a beast in America, uh, but you definitely have a lot of experience with. Um, yeah. Why don't we just dig in with that? Like, what are your thoughts on, you know, us radio? It's like, you've, you've been, yeah, you've been working with labels. You've been working with artists. Like you have the floor. Yeah. Okay. So, so it's so interesting talking about radio because me as a music fan, I don't listen to radio. So I have to often remind myself that there is a big population of people that listen to radio. Um, I think in a lot of ways, the mindset to have about radio is similar to PR just because you land a radio, you know, team doesn't mean that you're going to be an overnight success. So if you're able to get on some of these, you know, stations, um, whether they're independent, whether they're college radio stations, it's very similar to when you land, you know, a press piece where give them a shout out, tag the station, tag the DJ slash tastemaker and make it a part of your social media strategy. Um, And what's really nice about being able to do that is, you know, especially if you're starting early on and this is the first time you land a song on, you know, radio, um, remember that that is just the first baby step that there are tastemakers that are still trying to familiarize themselves with you. And so they also want to see you doing the work. They want to see that you have things going on, that you are active with your listenership, that you're telling your listeners to go listen to the radio station. Um, you know, similar to what you would do if you're putting out a press piece, you want to get your fans going, clicking on that press piece. So then, you know, there's, there's this whole uh, beneficial cycle happening. So similar with radio, you know, make sure your expectation is that, oh, I'm going to spend this much money or my label is going to spend this much money on it. Um, and, and that's that. But what's also really interesting too, is that if you have a solid radio team behind you, you can learn, you can gather some very important data about like cities and locations that are spinning your music. And that information is really important for, you know, your publicist. If you want to go get some local, you know, PR and then, you know, your radio team can certainly help with that as well. Um, It's really important information for your agent. If all of a sudden you're getting a ton of spins out in like Phoenix, Arizona, maybe, you know, it's time for you to play out in Phoenix, Arizona after this whole COVID thing is, you know, (laughs) all all done and, and it's safe to do so. But these are just 
I almost like to think, you know, with PR, with the things that you get back from PR with radio, this is just more information at your disposal, just like it's one more email address is more information at your disposal. So you're essentially empowering yourself to understand your market, to understand who's listening to you, um, you know, get to know these tastemakers. If you could possibly, you know, do that, invite them to your shows, put them on your fancy friends list, keep them up to date, because if they're spinning your music, they are probably genuinely a fan. Um, so, you know, all of these, in addition to having this important information and data, um, you're also building your network. I love it. And also offer them guest lists, ticket giveaways, all that good stuff. Yes. Be available for interviews. Yes. You know, just be available. <laughs> right back. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about artists starting their own podcasts? Oh, I love it. Especially you have something to talk about. Um, I, I don't think every artist should, you know, if you're introverted and you don't have a strong idea or vision of what you want to do, then don't do it. Now is not the time to do that because then you might be convoluting, you know, what you're putting out there, um, to your fans. But like, if you have something genuine that you want to talk about, like maybe you want to do, you know, something that's specifically about production. Um, and you have a bunch of production fans that would tune into that. Um, and you have, um, a vision of who you want to be, uh, on your podcast as, as guests, you know, then, then yeah. But I think, man, it's so, it's very similar to Patreon, I think in a way like Patreon is really great for, you know, revenue streams for an artist podcasting. I feel like it's such a great outlet to, to get those fans like interested in, in you beyond your music, you know, beyond your persona, because I think, especially these days, the whole mysterious persona is just not a thing for artists. Like I think fans lose interest unless they really can get to know you. I mean, again, Selena, look at Taylor Swift as an example. Taylor Swift is such a great example of someone who has poured her heart and soul to her fan base. Um, And so, you know, I think with the podcast, that's such a great platform to bury your soul if you feel comfortable doing that. You can do breakdowns of your music. You can talk about your album. You can talk about your favorite music. And fans will eat that up, especially if it just comes from a genuine, authentic, you know, place like what we talked about when it comes to Twitter and social media. Um, And just make sure that your messaging is on brand with who you are. Agreed. And I also want to say when you're talking about radio and location and stuff, I wonder if anyone is ever, I mean, hopefully someone is like, you know, if you have a radio campaign going on, but you, I'm just making this, making up these metrics, but if you notice that like you have a ton of fans in Atlanta, but you're not getting radio play there, I would, um, when I say notice, I mean like through your social media metrics and your website metrics and all that, it arm and inform your radio promo people, because I bet nobody's doing that saying like, you know, even if the program directors that in Atlanta aren't into it, just go go to them, arm them with this info that you have tons and tons of fans there. I, I, I'd be curious. Um, I'd be curious about how that strategy goes. Yeah. And, and I think that just comes down to what we were talking about earlier is communication. You know, yeah. all this information you're gathering, you can give it to, you know, your publisher, you can give it to your label, you can give it to your sync team. Like, you know, all of this culminates in something even bigger Um, but you have to be willing to communicate. It's just like a relationship. You have to be willing to communicate this information. 
Agreed. And, you know, there's always so much talk about data and metrics and all that, but then it's like, what are you doing with it? And that, that's what we're trying to help people with, because I know that could be super overwhelming. Yeah, it, it can be overwhelming. If, if we can talk about that real quick, because um, so, you know, insights, analytics it, for a lot of artists, and, and maybe I'm wrong here, but this is just, you know, my, my personal opinion. A lot of artists are not spreadsheet people, probably. Um, they're creative by heart. If, if you are a spreadsheet person, that's awesome. Um, but you know, when it comes to like the data and the analytics, it's not as sexy as putting out an album. So yeah, I get that. Um, so there is an advantage though, of having a basic understanding of your analytics and there are ways to, to gather that kind of, um, important information from, from the things that you have. Unfortunately, our data is very fragmented where, you know, you can look at your Spotify analytics, you can look at your Facebook analytics, your Instagram analytics, and then that information is also different from each other. So it's so hard to be able to, you know, unless you have the time and effort, so hard to put all of that all in one place and then be able to make some pretty good educated decisions um, between you and your team. Um, but, you know, don't, don't fear the number, <laughs> don't fear the charts, just take a moment to, to look at it because you will glean some really, really cool information um, across the board. It's so funny, like with Spotify, um, every artist's number one city is like Mexico. Uh, yeah, Mexico City. Yeah. And then, and then I get hit up by a client. They're like, how have I not played Mexico City? And then I have to remind them like, that is like a huge major city. Um, so they have millions of people, right? So, um, but like, you know, as an artist, that's really interesting for you to see, wow, I have a lot of fans in Mexico. Um, so there, you might be able to glean some really important information. Um, and it's not just because I think for artists, they start to develop an innate understanding of the different markets when they start touring. You know, they can see how engaged their fans are because it's something they can see face to face. Analytics, that's certainly not the case. Um, where you just see numbers um, and you, and it's hard to determine who's passive, you know, a passive fan or who's just, you know, happens to come across you or who is active and engaging because everything is so fragmented. Um, but it's, it's just, you know, important as an artist to inform yourself with your audience as much as possible. Uh, Torres, as an example, she, her, the, she has more male fans than female fans, you know, and she's a female artist. So that's something that, is so interesting for, for me as a marketer, you know, as we're trying to develop, you know, what we want to do in 2021 and with her next, you know, album coming out. Um, but, but you will tailor your message based off of who is listening. Um, and, and you might be surprised on what you end up finding out. I love it. Three more questions. Okay. Um, any thoughts on music videos in the modern era? Um, <laughs> Sorry, I, that question is just like, I feel, I feel like I've, I don't know. Um, if you have the money for it, fine, by all means do it and, and, you know, get some really great content out of it. If you do have the budget for it and you're going to do it, think about the format of the content that you're creating. So, you know, 10 years ago, everything was horizontally filmed. You know, the format was like MTV, um, maybe YouTube, but YouTube was pretty much at its infancy at that point. Um, awesome. Now you have to also think about not just the music video, but you have to think about, okay, I'm going to do a music video. 
Um, now I'm going to need, oh, I'm so sorry. My You're phone. Fine. Should I report oh that? Oh, no, don't okay. 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 So, um, so you have to think about people consume content on Instagram differently than they consume content on YouTube than what they consume on Facebook. And now you're not just creating a music video, but you have to create assets that are different from the music video in order to promote the music video. So really think about, you know, oh, I'm just going to do a music video and that's it. That's not going to be the case. You have to build a strategy around what you're going to do with that music video. And fingers crossed, you have a budget and fingers crossed, you have people on your team that are willing to work within that budget. Now, uh, I'm talking about like, okay, labels are giving an artist uh, a budget. You're an independent artist. You don't have a label and you want to put out a music video. What is your budget first and foremost? And what are your expectations with that budget? Because it is not cheap to do a music video with, you know, uh, with professionally um, uh, used cameras or, you know, with, with a director who has, you know, this really great you know, background or whatever. Like it's not cheap to hire on those people and also rent that equipment. So just make sure that whatever is your budget, you are being realistic about it. But what's really awesome is that we have these amazing phones at our disposal and you can film in 4K on your phone, which is insane. I remember like, what is it? Like 10 years ago, 4K was a $10,000 camera that no one had access to. Or like, I knew one person in my whole life that had a Sony Red. Um, But like, now we can actually film in like HD, Ultra HD, 4K. So you have something at your disposal already to help you save money, especially if you don't have that budget. Um, And and you can film that. Um, Now, what I would ask is why does the artist want to do a music video to begin with? Um, is it there to really, you know, hit their fans? Is it going to move the needle for you as an artist? Um, and I honestly don't think music videos really move the needle for artists in a lot of ways. I think it's just one extra way to promote your album, your song. It's, it's just another content for social media. And, and that, and Hey, there might be artists and managers that disagree with me on that. Um, and it's a really great way to have a visual representation of your, your music because that is part of the branding of your music. So that should very much be a part of your plan if you have a really strong branding visual strategy for everything and you're building a universe or whatever you want to build around your music. Um, so, yes, that's really great. Um, but I think artists also need to just be realistic when it comes to that because we're not going to make money off of that music video on YouTube. I mean, those, those royalties are crap. Um, and, and be prepared to not just spend money on that music video, but put ad spend behind it. Um, and hopefully you have a budget for that too. Yeah. And again, like just to echo what you said, like, and I, I love my film and, and music video director friends. So it pains me to say this and, you know, most of us, obviously most of us don't have the talent they do, but the, the cameras that we have on our smartphones are like higher quality than what music videos were shot on, you know, that cost millions of dollars in the pre-digital era. So we just have these, you know, incredible tools at our disposal. And that's a great thing to start experimenting with. Yeah. And I would also go so far as to say that, you know, if you don't know how to use your camera, 
go on Skillshare, go on these different platforms that gives you the basics on what you can do with your camera. Um, there are professional filmmakers that have filmed you know, so much off of their own phone. And now they're imparting that information onto you as a, as a, you know, creator yourself. So there's a lot of tools on how to educate yourself in, in using, um, your, your own phone. And, and I, I also want to bring up, cause I know, you know, we're talking specifically about music videos, but I also want to talk about the creative side of things. And this doesn't include music videos, but I, but it's also really important as a, as a as a musician that in part of your marketing budget um, that you really think about the creative side of it because your music is intangible, but you you make it tangible through the visuals, through what you put on social media. You know the videos, the photos, you know the the look of your press photos. Like those those are the things that make you tangible, and. Um, you know, when, if you're thinking about building a music video, really the first step is, you know, what, what's the album cover, (laughs) you know, what are your assets, which I know you've probably talked about in your other episodes. Um, and you certainly talk about it in your book. Um, but, but yeah, I, I, you know, I just want to make sure that artists are fully aware that it's not just about making a music video. Like it's about being creative. And if you don't know how to be visually creative, there's ways to learn how to be that and explore, um, how to be visually creative on your own so you don't have to necessarily pay upwards of hundreds or thousands of dollars for someone to do the branding and the visuals or the directing for the things that you want to put out. Love it. Um, any thoughts on brand sponsor and endorsement partnerships? Oh yeah, I'm all for it. If there's a brand or company that wants to work for you and it is on brand with you and uh, what your fans will, you know, gravitate towards, you know, you certainly want to make sure that it's a good fit. Absolutely do it. Find a way to incorporate it. If they're willing to fund your music video, that is awesome. Then you don't have to spend out of pocket. Right. Um, oh, and by the way, sorry, just to be clear, I just mean in general, I mean, you're right about music videos. Oh yeah. 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 But yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's more of an example, but yeah, I think that, you know, in particular when it comes to, you know, the pandemic and artists are like trying to figure out what to do and um, you know, income streams are, are limited. Uh, it, they're few and far between, right. It's hard to find those, those um, partnerships. You have to put some effort into that um, unless you're likely like Julia Noon who gets, who has done all the work by the way. Um, and now she gets, you know, uh, people approaching her. So um, if if there's a brand that wants to partner with you on something, you should definitely explore it. Just make sure that it's in line with, with you know, you and your artistry. Yeah. And again, like if you're doing something well on social media or just, you know, you know what you're doing, like you've, you've been listening to us and you've been practicing this stuff, um, it's okay to educate these brands too. Um, I've seen this with Julia. You and I both work with athletes as well. I mean, we've had brands come to us and and it's definitely an, an, an authentic partnership where it's like, okay, this brand definitely makes sense, you know, for the client, like they're super into it, like awesome. But a lot of times some of these branding agreements, they want you like, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but like posting every day about them on all of your social networks. And I'm the one going back to them being like, the reason Julia has such strong engagement numbers is she is authentically herself. So we will make sure that you do have 
um, an amount of posts that will be effective for you. But obviously, if you're posting every single day on every platform, it's just spamming fans. And that's actually bad for the brand as well. So just a reminder for everyone, like, it's okay to educate brands on on what's working for you, and which is why they approached you in the first place to try to find a happy medium. Agreed. Definitely agreed. And Julia is such a great example. I mean, everyone should just take a look at how she does it. <laughs> Because she's really strong in a lot of areas. Yeah, I, I use her as an example all the time and also make it clear, like, she did the vast majority of her career before she worked with us. So I'm just saying, like, I'm, I'm not, like, taking credit for for any of it, really. She just, um, yeah, has has very good instincts on social media. So you're right. Um, gr- great person to, to check out, um, whether we manage her or not, as far as, like, how she um, how she handles social media and engages with her fans, for sure. Last question, what does building a sustainable music career mean to you? Uh, It means that an artist can survive on, on their music, you know, just, just having something consistent. Um, And, you know, that doesn't mean you are able to sell out arenas or stadiums. Uh, I think it's a win for an artist to, you know, maybe have a smaller following, but is able to pay all their bills and their rent and, and, you know, is able to travel and do the things that they want simply from their own career. Um, You know, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're a millionaire or they're, you know, selling out records, you know, to the point where they get, you know, platinum, you know, but um, yeah, I think sustainability is just ensuring that, um, you have a good, just a good understanding of your position in your career, um, and that you can survive because unfortunately there are a lot of artists that don't, that, that aren't able to get through because they don't have a sustainable career. There are things that they aren't thinking of. There are things that, you know, they may not know about that's in this book. So it's, it's really just about knowing your fans um, and be able to have a life simply because you're able to put music out there. Love that. Melissa, thank you so much for your time today. This was awesome. Thank you. I I feel like I went off on a tangent a couple of times. So I'm sorry that this interview was so long, but uh, I was just really excited about Selena. Love it. <laughs> no need to apologize. That's what podcasts are for. It's all good. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm very honored that you asked me to to beyond this. Of course. And let people know um, where they can find you, where they can find our company, all that good stuff. Absolutely. So you can find out more about Collective Entertainment. Uh, We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find out more about our amazing roster and the things that we're up to. It's www.collectiveentinc. Did I get that right? So let me check. That's how good Oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. I don't even know my own our own company's website. Ooh. But but listen, all the things you do know. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So definitely check us out. Um. And then you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I am at underscore Melissa Garcia. Um. You can also check out iVoted Festival. So that's iVotedFestival.com. Please follow us. Check out what we're doing. I assume this episode is coming out after January 5th, but you should definitely still check out what we're up to. Um, and yeah. And I'm also on LinkedIn. So come find me and, and network with me. Love it. Um, well, that's a wrap for this episode of How to Build a Sustainable 
music career and collect all revenue streams. We hope you're feeling uh, very informed and ready to go with how to market with or without a budget. Um, thanks again to my incredible guests, Melissa Garcia. And massive thanks to SongTrust for sponsoring this episode. SongTrust is the world's largest technology solution for global music publishing royalty collection and, and administration. It was founded to simplify music rights management and re remove complexity from the publishing landscape. SongTrust collects publishing royalties for more than 2 million songs with a community of more than 300,000 songwriters and rights holders. Use the promo code SUSTAIN20, S-U-S-T-A-I-N-20, all in caps, at sign up for 20% off your SongTrust registration. And if you happen to miss the beginning of this episode where I shared my thoughts on SongTrust, um, I am very genuinely obsessed with them. Um, that is a love and a real endorsement I've had before we worked together uh, in sponsoring this episode or, or anything. And it really is the number one missing revenue stream that I see in songwriters and artists um, because so many artists sign up for their PRO, ASCAP or BMI um, here in the US. And then they think that they're collecting on their publishing. And I, I meet songwriters of all ages and experience levels who, uh, as soon as they sign up for SongTrust, there's money for them there. So I highly, highly recommend it. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks to my amazing engineer, Nathan Kane. Thank you to Matthew Wong for composing this beautiful podcast music. If you have questions or anything in the meantime, I'm at mwizzle on social media. Catch you then. Thanks.